Hello, thank you for joining us. My name is Gus, and it's another episode of Friendly Reminder. It is October the 31st. It's Halloween. Spooky. And speaking of spooky, we're three days away from Election Day. Um, Yep, it's that time of the year, folks. What a season, what a season. And it all comes down to this. Uh, Joining me today are my dear friends. Daniel, how are you today? Good, Gus. How are you doing? Well, nervous, terrified, but good. Other than that, pretty good. Good to hear. I am. We're going to talk about that. But joining us, as always, Sam, how are you today? I'm dead inside. <laughs> cool. <laughs> good start. And folks, I had, I'd like all of you to welcome back our guest today. Uh, Nack, how are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm feeling a bunch of mixed emotions right now, but uh, yeah. I also feel dead inside. So. <laughs> cool. We're all we're all ready to go. Sounds like an election. <laughs> we bring you here uh, maybe as our gaming expert, but this time around, you're just going to join us, uh, and you know we're going to talk about how we feel three days three days away from this this monumental day that's coming up. Well, but thank before you for we, having me, of course. But before we do that, let's talk about some news. Um, It's not surprising news. It's not really an October surprise. Uh, It was more of a late September surprise when Ruth Bader Ginsburg unfortunately passed away. But the and as we guessed, the Republicans in the Senate have confirmed her replacement. Uh, That happened last Monday. Amy Coney Barrett, um, radical conservative. Uh, has now replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the Supreme Court. Uh, That very same night, a decision came out um, in regards to the Wisconsin general election. Uh, The Supreme Court, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a 5-3 decision, um, struck down the deadline to count mail-in votes that are postmarked by election but arrive six days before or after, I'm sorry, election day. Um, so in order for the votes to be counted, they have to be both postmarked by election day and they have to arrive on election day. So if you ca- if you put your vote in the mail and somehow the postal service is slow, because wink, wink, it probably will be, uh, and it comes after election day, it does not count. You know, we started this podcast back in, I don't know, July, I believe, June, late June, early July, and we talked about voter suppression. Uh, we talked about the the kinds of things that the Republican Party might do, and now it's it's really coming. Um, it's really becoming clear, right? Like now they have a Supreme Court six uh, three conservative su- Supreme Court. Amy Coney Barrett was just confirmed, and if this election gets litigated in any kind of way in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, um, in in Arizona, you name it it will probably go to the Supreme Court. And we already have a clear picture as to how they're going to decide. But, you know, Daniel, you're my, you're my SCOTUS expert here. So can you, can you, you know, give us a little bit of an insight on this decision and what it means? It's sort of hard to divorce this decision from the broader context of uh, voter disenfranchisement this year. Um, the efforts by the Republicans have been sort of breathtaking. You know they've always worked to disenfranchise people, but this year has, they they're not even uh, trying to hide the fact. Um, 
uh, off the top of my head, I know that the Trump campaign is videotaping voters in Philadelphia who are returning their ballots. Uh, they're suing uh, in Clark County to get elections official, officials to analyze signatures more closely to try to disqualify Democrat ballots. They're suing in several states, including Ohio, to shoot down expanded use of ballot drop boxes, absentee ballots uh, in New Hampshire, uh, tried to intervene in an Arizona case to make it easier for the Navajo to vote. You know, the big one when when in 2018, the entire Republican or the entire Florida electorate made it so felons could vote. And the Republicans in the legislature basically reversed that and made it so that they couldn't vote unless they paid some ambiguous fine. Um, uh, you know, the famous one in Texas where the Fifth Circuit signed off on Greg Abbott's uh, restricting ballot drop-off boxes to one in every single county, including counties that had like 12 people in them and counties that, that had tens of millions of people in them. Um, this... Wisconsin vote was shocking just because of how appalling it is. And and I think you 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 pointed out that it was this is about when the Barrett ballots get there, right? <laughs> it has nothing to do with it's not going to affect the behavior of of individuals per se because you're going to mail the ballot and this is it's it's when and what really should matter is when the ballots are stamped. Um this this basically gives the Republicans a wide birth to slow down the ballots and then toss out the ballots that don't get there by election day. Um, and the Supreme Court basically signed off of it, signed off on it. And uh, oh, man, it's it's hard to even this this opinion by Brett Kavanaugh is just one of the sloppiest things I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Uh, yeah, he he corrected one of the like dozen mistakes that he made. I'm gonna, I'm going to call them lies because I think they're it reminds me of a brief a very bad lawyer would write last minute to try to get his point to across to a court uh because it's sloppy uh quotes are taken out of context um the the big the biggest mistake was when he said that oh you know we have to defer to state legislatures and how they want to adapt to covid and he pointed out that Vermont hadn't showed, hadn't changed any rules, except Vermont had changed dozens of rules <laughs> ahead of, uh, and he, he like subtly went in and quietly changed it. And but the funny thing is that the paragraph doesn't make any sense now that he changed it uh, because he said, "Oh, Vermont didn't change their rules, but they they definitely had." He also wrote that states declare a winner on election night, which is just patently false. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no state declares a winner on election night. Uh, there are projections, uh, usually media projections. States don't even confirm winners until uh, at least I think the earliest state is a couple of days later when they have to certify the results. But uh, Elena Kagan, oh, he also noted that uh, he said in that same footnote, quote, these states want to avoid the chaos of suspicious of suspicions of impropriety that can be ensue if thousands of absentee ballots flow in after election day and potentially flip the results of the election. Uh, that is dumb as shit because <laughs> because you can't flip the results of election if uh, of an election unless you count all the votes. He's basically saying, well, the results have to be done by mint. It, it's just fucking dumb as shit. It, it's hard to even characterize it as anything else. Is just pure bad faith, dumb. This. Whoever wrote this clerk who wrote this needs to be fired. 
I mean, this this opinion that he wrote, it's it's yeah. essentially what Donald Trump has been saying, right? Like yep. it's it's the same statement where it, it must end by election night, even though there are a plethora of cases. In fact, it's it's far more common for votes to be counted after election night. There's absentee ballots. There are ballots overseas, you know, uh, from the military. Like there is mm-hmm. no certification that's ever done on the night of the election. Like. Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised to know that Kev- Kavanaugh, Barrett, and John Roberts, when they were on the Bush versus Gore litigation team, they actually had the opposite opinion, mm-hmm. and they argued that every single ballot, even ballots not postmarked, needed to be counted because those ballots were thought to favor George Bush. So Kavanaugh, you know, changed his opinion for some reason. Uh, much mm-hmm. in the same way he changed his opinion on investigations of presidents uh, when. He was very pro-investigations when he was investigating Bill Clinton, but was very anti-investigations when uh, Democrats were investigating Donald Trump. Um, he also cited to Bush versus Gore, which is like... <laughs> I mean, Bush versus Gore is one of those decisions that like everybody knows it's appalling. Nobody cites to it. The Supreme Court in Bush versus Gore, in the actual decision, said, please, this this case is non-precedential, which is you know, in and of itself, very alarming. How does a court declare its own decision non-presidential? But then now he's citing to it as if it is presidential. <laughs> it's, uh, and, and he used it to basically argue that the rule is that SCOTUS can interfere with judges, <laughs> state court judges interpreting state laws. It's, it's a massive power grab. It's a massive power grab by the federal judiciary, allowing, allowing them to intervene, in, intervene directly uh, basically reviewing state court assessments uh, and in almost every case deciding that the state courts are being too generous and how they're making how they're making it easy for people to vote uh, you know despite the massive pandemic so let's let's talk a little bit about that because I and I'm gonna ask you guys ac- uh, across the table here in regards to the Supreme Court because not only do we have that decision um, on the night that Amy Coney Barrett got confirmed uh, she decided to attend yet another White House um, event uh, with the president uh, you know despite the fact that her previous event when she was nominated ended up being a super spreader event um, she decided to attend yet another one filled with hundreds of people sitting, you know, outside the balcony, um, outside the White House. Um, and this this particular event was, you know, predictably used as a, a campaign ad for Donald Trump. So, you know, we talk about the integrity of the Supreme Court. It's hard to take that seriously when the same judges, uh, the same justices don't take that integrity uh, seriously either. So, a question to you guys, and again, I'll go across the board here, is we talk about you know packing or expanding the Supreme Court, but if we're, we're in a scenario where, where Democrats win back the Senate and the presidency and have control of the House, should we do more about the Supreme Court? Do, do we need more regulation? Is the Supreme Court overpowered? Like, is it, is it, is it too powerful right now? And is it too compromised? Nack, you know, I'll start with you. You're our guest. So like, what, what do you think should be done with the Supreme Court? Abolish Oof. it. Oh, man. Um, Defund the Supreme Court? <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's tough because, like, you know, we, I think we want to, there's got to be some, some integrity there that keeps it respected. 
you know, that maintains that level of respect that I think for a long time, we've kind of always, when you, when you think about our government and how it works, the Supreme Court is always kind of what we've looked at as like the most, I mean, I, obviously it's never been completely impartial, but like we, we like to think of it that way. You know, we like to, when we're in high school, we're kind of taught that it's supposed to be impartial. And that, I mean, my, my idea, my picture of the Supreme Court in my head has completely changed over the past year between Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Um, it's hard to even think of like a time when I had that, had that same picture of the Supreme Court as this kind of like higher than politics, impartial, looking objectively at, at what's going on and what, and, you know, interpreting the law and the constitution objectively and with the intention of benefiting, you know, everybody. It's just like, that's <laughs> get, like, think about that. That's not at all what, how we, how we can yeah. view the Supreme court anymore. Um, now that being said, to answer your question more directly, what can we do about it? Dude, I think, yeah, I think pack the court. Um, you know, we people when 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 Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I saw a lot of talk on Twitter um, from Democrats who were upset that Republicans during the uh, no wait was uh, it during Kavanaugh? Well, no, that, that would make, that would Garland, Mary Garland was uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They held the seat open. Um, that th yeah, that they 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 basically, you know, assumed that Republicans would have uh, the integrity to do the same thing that they did, which is wait until after an election year to do anything about an empty seat on the Supreme Court. And of course, that didn't happen. And Democrats were upset about how hypocritical that was and yes it was but also what were you expecting these are the these are these are the republicans who elected donald trump you know who for much of donald trump's campaign going into his go, going into the republican pr primary did not support donald trump like i think it was ted mm -hmm. cruz right who said vote your conscience like who mm -hmm. and then completely went back on that Ted Cruz, like, you know, like shame. these people have no moral compass. Like, yeah, they have no shame. So I, it was kind of frustrating to me to see that discourse on Twitter because like, what did you expect from these people? Of course they're going to do this. Um, and, and it's, that doesn't make it any less infuriating. But to me, I think the discussion that needs to be had is like, okay, Democrats from now on, don't do anything because you would assume that Republicans are going to do the same thing. Like, don't don't do anything out of your sense of uh, uh, respect for how you think things should be run in this country when you know that if it's if it's within the legal, I guess you know framework, or if it's if it's something that can be done legally, Republicans are going to do it, whether it's looked at as uh, voter suppression, you know. <laughs> just outright voter well yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, the, that's a good point in that they have these sort of pretextual explanations for all of this they say 
while we're videotaping people dropping ballot boxes off and pushing people heavily armed militias to pull the polling place, not to intimidate people, but to provide transparency and to protect against, you know, massive hordes of people voting illegally. Uh, aggressive signature matching is for election integrity, not to, <laughs> not to disenfranchise, not to turn, turn disenfranchising people into a, a contest of one Gomer looking at two signatures and being like, these don't look the same. Um, uh, <laughs> But I mean, I, they, they, so they come up with these pretextual sort of lines and the media's job, uh, in their opinion, in the Republicans opinion is to buy this. They, you know, there, I saw this, I saw this, uh, background call with the Republicans where they were like, we don't like this whole narrative that we're trying to stop people from voting. <laughs> that's not it. We're trying to protect the integrity of the election. Cause that's how they want to frame it. And Mac, you were talking about how, like it, you started to see the Supreme court very differently. Um, I used to be a big institutionalist and sort of have have a confidence in the power of institutions, even if they were at times like the Supreme Court, it was always political, you know, but the institution is to be respected and the people there are going to try their best to, you know, in the same way that you were talking about, they're going to try their best to make fair decisions. I think I've been completely dissuaded by that, it, 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 similar to you, in the last several years. Same. And I personally think it goes back further than that, and that it's one of those things where you can't really see it all until you reach, until you can see the whole history of it. And I think Bush versus Gore is a good starting point for the moment the Supreme Court <laughs> just decided, well, fuck it, we're just going to start deciding elections <laughs> and in, in a very explicit yeah. way. And yeah. then, there were other moves, too, I think, after... Um, after Obama won, just just a huge, huge turnout. Uh, it wasn't long after that that the Roberts Court decided to strike down the Voting Rights Act <laughs> because uh, they thought, well, you know, racism was over. Yes, they said racism is over, but the truth is, they thought, well, if we don't do this now, then Republicans are going to be demographically locked out of public office forever because Obama just has too many votes. The Democratic Party just has too many votes. So they basically uh, struck down the Voting Rights Act and allowed voter suppression to become supercharged. Is it good now, though, that we see them as such blatant political actors? Because it really does de degrade the institutional legitimacy of the court. Now, if they put out decisions, even decisions we like, people are going to be saying, well, well those, those are political decisions. I, I'm, I'm very torn by this idea that I think we need to be clear-eyed as to what the court is doing, and we can't let them hide behind this <laughs> this veneer of oh, you know, institutional legitimacy. When all they're doing is say there was a fucking there was a fucking footnote by Gorsuch saying, well, you, they ordered uh, I think it was Pennsylvania to start segregating votes because they said, well, it's too close to the election to just cut off these votes, so we're going to say start segregating the ones you receive after a certain day. Because they said, basically, they said, you can cue this issue up for after the election, letting us toss the ballots out after the election. <laughs> it, it's just the most appalling shit I've ever read. Uh, not, not the most appalling. Uh, look, this is a country where Dred Scott was also. <laughs> Dred Scott versus the United States was a Supreme Court decision. That uh, was appalling. But the competing tensions of like the institutional legitimacy of the Supreme Court and just, uh, just the fact that they're spouting 
patently idiotic bullshit. Kavanaugh spends so much of this Wisconsin opinion talking about how the Wisconsin legislature's incentive is to get the votes counted as soon as possible, ignoring the fact that the Wisconsin, the Republican Wisconsin legislature purposefully made it so that no mail-in ballots can even start being counted until election day. <laughs> and they did, and that's, this is an old rule, but, but they did not change it. Um, so if they were really interested in speeding up the counting, they would probably allow these things to start being counted before election day. But they're not because that's not what they care about. I suppose it's good that Kavanaugh's opinion was like written in crayon and had like uh, spaghetti stains all over it because it really does. <laughs> it really does show that this this sort of mask of judicial legitimacy is 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 just is a thin veneer. I'm going to be totally honest. I think he did this on purpose. I think he wrote an opinion that was purposefully dumb and purposefully sloppy because he was basically giving a signal to lower courts saying go ahead and be sloppy and dumb and start uh restricting the right to vote because you know that's okay uh that's a bit of speculation on my part hard to hard to say that it would this was a this was a best effort by Kavanaugh in terms of just the quality of the opinion um he repeatedly conflates the deadline of of actually mailing your ballots and actually getting there which is which is the big difference which Getting there is the one that people have zero control of, but he, he keeps conflating them in order to in order to uh, create the impression that people have control over when their ballots get there, which they don't. <laughs> they could have mailed their ballots three weeks ago and have zero control of when they get there and whether the vote is going to count. But that's what I mean, right? Like it's it's hard to reconcile what you just said uh, uh, with any kind of belief that the supreme we should respect the integrity of the Supreme Court. Um, and you know, I. I I think there needs to be some kind of break of the solution um, somehow because I'm even looking at it and you know maybe saying this is going to get me in trouble, but I'm I'm looking at this through um, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, the fact that she died sitting on the Supreme Court. Um, I believe that Ruth Bader Ginsburg tainted her legacy because she bought into the mythos of the notorious RBG. Right, she bought into the mythos that nobody can replace her. Uh, uh, she said that on record. I mean, she she said that back in 2014 that uh, if if I were to step down, who's going to to replace me? Uh, she she thought she, uh, she was irreplaceable, and then that made her stay on the Supreme Court uh, until she couldn't, and that led to her seat being replaced by a radical conservative. I, I think at the very least, we need to stop seeing um, Supreme Court justices as philosopher kings, you know, well above uh, uh, not being able to make unwise decisions or just not 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 being um, uh, subject to the to the human element and to to ego and to just making stupid mistakes. I mean, they're just human beings at the end of the day. Uh, Unfortunately, because of Ruth Bader's decision, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's decision, yeah. a lot of lives are going to be negatively affected. Uh, and that doesn't take away from the fact that she is still an icon and a hero and, 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 and a massive legend, uh, progressive legend. But it is the truth now. It's just it's it's just uh, the unfortunate facts now. So I mean, when I think about legislation, like term limits. Right. Let's just put mm -hmm. an 18-year term limit, and let's stop. Let's take away uh, these decisions away from these human beings of, of 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 lives being affected because they just decide that they don't want to stop working when 
it maybe it's time for for somebody else to somebody yeah. like-minded you know somebody that could have replaced ruth bader ginsburg um she didn't have or he or she didn't have to be as as much of an icon as her just somebody that could follow her legacy and follow her uh her, her a like-minded ideology philosophy. ideology yeah that's the word that i was looking for so i i'm just looking at something like that I, are you guys in favor of term limits sam i mean is, well, is that something you'd be for before i say that i'm losing hope each and each day of everything that the republicans are doing you know i thought biden was gonna win but it's like what's the point anymore if Donald Trump wins again, and maybe at like 40, 60 that he, or 60, 40 that he is going to win, nothing else is going to, everything else is going to go down the tube. I don't think we will ever have, I think the first thing that Republicans might do is like make it so Donald Trump stays president for longer than eight years. Um but as far as the Supreme Court, we kind of did this to ourselves in 2016. We did. I agree. So we haven't added any justices to the Supreme Court since Abraham Lincoln. It's been nine. Um, and back then, the population of the United States was like probably the population of Texas right now. Um, and it's been nine justices. I think they should expand the, uh, you know, I, I'm in favor of, of multiple different ways to to look at this. I think they should expand it to at least like, I don't know, 17, uh, maybe 20, maybe do panels so that, you know, the whole court isn't deciding every case. I think it was like 10 million fewer Americans voted for the Democrats, or sorry, 10 million more Americans voted for the Democrats who voted against Amy Coney Barrett being, being nominated. I think term limit, I think eight, what uh, Gus said was 18 years. I think that's still too long. It's still too long to affect too many decisions um, for voter rights, for women's rights, for LGBT rights. I think it needs to be like 10 years. I mean, even 10 years seems long to me. Maybe it should just be one year. <laughs> Well, One probably, year for a justice. I mean, we're looking at it through like the political um, framework, right? Like what can actually pass? I, I don't think uh, a 10 year term limit is going to be that uh, digestible by uh, by even moderate Democrats, because let's let's remember that even under the best case scenario um, where Democrats do win the Senate, we're going to have a lot of moderate moderate Democrats in Congress, including uh, what's the Democrat in West Virginia? Uh, Mansion. Mansion. I don't. I, I personally don't even think that they're going to be able to pass any reforms. I mean, Joe Biden, right. his reform is a bipartisan <laughs> committee to look at the Supreme Court and decide whether it's skewed or not. I don't think that bipartisan committee is going to come to any conclusions as to whether it's skewed right. or not. Well, I mean, but Given also, that. like, Joe Biden hasn't said no to to packing the Supreme Court. I mean, which, which is a signal that he's, again, I mentioned this earlier, but he's probably considering it. Um, because no, I think he he gave that answer. That's his answer now. We're going to get a bipartisan committee. I to me that sounds like he's ruling out packing it. Unless you think the bipartisan committee is going to recommend packing the court. No, that's his that's his way of not really answering the question, but answering the question. When he specifically asks, "Are you going to pack the Supreme Court?" If he says, "I'm going to look at a bipartisan committee," he's still not saying no. If he really didn't want to, which I would think Joe Biden would 
if if he really believed in, in not packing the Supreme Court, he would probably say it. I mean, why wouldn't he? That's that's part of his moderate. I'm I'm more skeptical. I don't I don't think there's gonna be I don't think there are gonna be any reforms of the court. I honestly don't even think they're gonna try to to be perfectly honest. The Democrats. I think they have to. I think they I'm have to sure. do something. Yeah, no matter I'm, what it is. I think the situation is is too dire. Um, I think it's like what what they have to do something somewhat drastic, right? Like they have to at least start with killing the filibuster. The the pressure is going to be on from those further to the left, on the rest of the party to go that way, right? Like it's not like, but yeah, this isn't really just in regards to Bernie Sanders or or um, AOC. I think there's somewhat liberal Democrats that probably weren't thinking about packing the Supreme Court uh, a year ago that are probably for it because this this particular uh, thing with yeah with with RBG yeah. passing away wake up call and you know if if the Republicans' hypocrisy is going to have at least some some kind of effect it's to radicalize these somewhat liberal democrats to take more extreme options because that's that's all they can do at this point there is i mean you can't you're not going to be able to pass anything under this current congress the way even if you have a small majority which is the best thing that democrats can hope of right now let's be honest they're not going to win 60 votes right at most they'll win 54 i i'm skeptical there's going to be any reform even if even if democrats win 60 votes i'm skeptical there's going to be any reform i think they will be cowed by the argument that it's illegitimate and a power grab or whatever but that's what republicans are doing right now yeah but that's what they've been doing for years and look at the end so so democrats position on the amy coney barrett nomination process was that it was a fundamentally illegitimate uh, exercise of the senatorial power. Um, at the end of that process, Diane Feinstein said that this was the best confirmation process she had ever participated in. <laughs> and then she gave Lindsey Graham a hug. Um, Democrats do not have the wherewithal and the guts to actually, I guess, disassociate themselves with their sort of institutional biases, the, these biases towards the institutions. Like Feinstein, this was a friggin' dog and pony show, uh, Lindsey Graham's uh, nomination process of Coney, Amy Coney Barrett. Um, but Feinstein still felt like she had to <laughs> had to thank him for running such a great nomination process because that's what you do in the institution of the Senate. <laughs> you thank them for how great it was, and then you give them a big maskless hug and a smooch and spread coronavirus everywhere. Um, I guess my point is that I, I'm just very skeptical that Democrats are going to uh, do anything. I don't think, and I get, I get that Joe Biden hasn't answered the question. He also has not taken any affirmative uh, positions, and I get that why he's not doing that. He doesn't want to become the topic, but I just don't see the political will once they're once they're in power for Democrats to to try to solve this in some way. And I don't think they will. Um, I think we're going to have a six three court for a very long time. Yeah, I, I, well, that's truly depressing. Not to get too down. <laughs> I I think that you're going to see a more liberal Democratic Congress than you've seen in the past. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have moderate Democrats. You know, Diane Feinstein is going to be there probably until she dies. And um, the, again, the, the senator from West Virginia, what, what's his name, Manson? He's he's going to be there in a mansion, and he's basically he is basically a Republican. Like that's that, oh, yeah. there's very little difference. He's I believe he's pro gun. He's pro. Uh, he might be pro 
life as well. So again, yes, the the, the Democratic Party also has a wider tent, uh, and it's it's harder for them to negotiate with each other as opposed to the Republicans who are far more willing to to coalesce. But none of this conversation is even um, is even relevant if they don't win the Senate and yeah. if they don't win the presidency. So let's talk about it. We are three days away from the general election. Let's talk about how the way things look. Let's talk about, um, you know, the Joe Biden's chances and Donald Trump's chances to win the presidency, uh, as well as how we feel about it. So I'm going to go do a rundown here. I'm going to try to put this in some sort of context um, in terms of the paths towards winning the, the presidency. I'm going to go by Joe Biden's uh, path here. And, and you know, by, by going down this path, you, you'll also be able to see Donald Trump's path to winning the presidency, hopefully. What I'm quoting are 538's uh, their forecast model and the probability of a Joe Biden uh, win in each state. And I'm going to try to categorize these states um, in in order, in, in, in terms of how Joe Biden can win the presidency. And the first category are states that Clinton actually won, that you would think Donald Trump would try to win in 2016 to kind of solidify both his base as well as his presidency. There's really only two states, and that is Nevada and Minnesota that are somewhat in the realm of possibility for, for Donald Trump to pick up. Um, and let me start, actually, before I go down this road, let me start by by saying that this probability obviously does not take into account what we just discussed, which is this being litigated and going to the Supreme Court and possibly being decided by not counting every vote. There is no model that can quantify that, right? There is no model that can say, here's Joe Biden's chances without SCOTUS and here's the chances with SCOTUS. Uh, they also, don't the massive disenfranchise efforts yeah. of the last decade yes. or not, or None last two decades are not in this model. Yes, none of that can be quantified. Um, and also, despite voter suppression, this is going to be a record turnout, looks like. Uh, over 80 million people have already voted. Uh, Texas has already reached over 100% of the 2016 total. So let's keep that in mind. Um, so again, category one are states that tr Donald Trump, uh, I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton won that Donald Trump would like to pick up. In Nevada, uh, Joe Biden has an 89% chance of winning, according to 538. So again, category one um, states that Clinton won, that Donald Trump would like to pick up Nevada 89%, which honestly, pretty decent chance there for, for Trump. Uh, the other state is Minnesota, um, where Joe Biden is uh, favored to win 94% of the time. Those are the two states that Trump probably would have liked to pick up. The next category, and this is going to be the most important category, are the Midwestern states that Clinton lost, that she was favored in, and she lost, and that led her to not win the presidency in 2016. Two of them look really good for Joe Biden right now. Uh, that is Michigan and Wisconsin. In Michigan, he stands at a 96% chance to win Michigan. In Wisconsin, he stands at a 94% chance. Again, that looks really favorable for him. Uh, Pennsylvania is the other state where he, his chances, Joe Biden's chances are pretty good, uh, but they stand at an 86% chance. So it's significantly lower. And I'll stop right here by saying that if Joe Biden wins all these states that I just mentioned, plus all the other Clinton states, that's it. 
he wins the presidency. Um, again, there would have to be some major surprises for for this not to lead to to Joe Biden being president of the United States. Um, the next category, though, are what I like to call the backup states in case something does happen in in um, Pennsylvania, for example. These are these don't look as great for Joe Biden, but still pretty good. Uh, there's the two districts, Nebraska second district, uh, second district, seventy-eight uh, percent chance of a Biden win. The main second district, only fifty-six percent. Uh, those are two electoral votes, not not a whole lot of of votes there. In Arizona, Joe Biden has a sixty-nine percent chance. In North Carolina, he has a sixty-seven percent chance. In Florida, he has a sixty-five percent chance. In Georgia, he has a fifty-eight percent chance. He is favored in all these states. It's a lot of states, but he's not favored by a whole lot. So it's very possible that Donald Trump could run the table with all these states. Not very possible, but a possibility. The last category are the states that Trump is favored, but not by a huge margin. In Ohio, Biden has a 45% chance. In Iowa, Biden has a 45% chance. And in Texas, Biden has a 33%. All of those states favor Trump, but still in play for Joe Biden, realistically speaking. So that's the number. Right now, for the 538 model has Joe Biden at an 80 per, 89% chance of winning. That's what the model says. I get the feeling nobody here agrees. <laughs> Daniel, why don't we start with you? I, I don't know why I don't agree. This, the analysis of it sounds very plausible. My prediction, my feeling, my gut feeling, no, sorry, my analysis, I've, I've applied my own secret set of factors to the numbers, right? <laughs> the Trafalgar secret, factor? Yeah. yeah the I, I called them the Trafalgar factors. Uh, I think, <laughs> you, so you framed it in terms of Biden's path. Uh, let's talk about Trump's path. I think Trump sweeps the so-called backup states. North Carolina, Arizona, Florida, Florida, Georgia, Arizona, Georgia sweeps all of those. I don't think they're, frankly, really in play. Texas sweeps all of them. Question about Nevada. Clinton won Nevada. I think they're going to squeak it out. I think Trump is going to squeak out Nevada. I think his his increased numbers, his slight increased numbers with Hispanics are going to help them squeak out Nevada. I've been hearing a lot of indications that the black vote is down this year. I read yesterday that 75% of the black vote in Pennsylvania has not voted yet. That is terrifying to me because the black vote was down in 2016, which led to the, you know, all of these backup states going to to Trump. Um, uh, that is my fear for, for what's going to happen this year. Uh, I personally think it's going to come down to the so-called blue wall states. You know, Clinton won Minnesota by very narrowly, 40, 40, 40,000 votes, I think. So, you know, we do talk about how Trump won narrowly, but the truth is, you know, a lot of those states were narrow wins for the ones that Clinton won were narrow wins for Clinton, too. So they could flip back. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the polls indicate. And I frankly think it's probably going to end up getting litigated in some way. I don't think it's going to be the sort of blatant, oh, we are, you know, tossing out. It's going to turn on some like very, you know, the Supreme Court is going to portray it as this highly technical issue. Uh, but I do think that they're going to say, you know, five to three or 
six to three with Barrett. Um, basically, either you know, shut down the count, you know, shut down the state supreme courts, trying to trying to run the counts, all of that stuff. Uh, they're going to try to shut it down and throw the election. That sounds. Now that I think about that, it sounds very pessimistic. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe that's not going to happen. Maybe I'm just psychologically stealing myself for for how I'm going to feel on election night. You're preparing yourself for the worst. Yeah, I am preparing myself for the worst. Yeah, to an extent. Uh, Nick, yeah. what are you feeling right now? Maybe too? not as pessimistic as uh, Daniel, but uh, I I'm still pretty. I, I'm trying to not get my hopes up. Um, I and I I don't know a lot of the hard numbers as well as y'all do. Um, but just like from what I have read from the few, um, times that I have kind of checked out 538 and looked at, at their, uh, I mean that simulation that they've got that you can kind of run all the numbers and, and kind of, you know, uh, do a bunch of what ifs is really cool. Wait, are you saying you don't check the forecast about 30 times a day? (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've avoided the, that plague. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I know. If you will indulge me here, just a quick, so you have some context for kind of how I'm going into this, how things went in 2016. Um, in 2016, on election night, Jackie and I, my, my wife and I, were sitting in a restaurant, eating, and both just glued to our phones in horror, watching as these votes were coming in, as states were being called one way or the other and watching the map just slowly turn red. And I had to get on a plane the next day. And for those who don't know, flying is maybe the one thing in this world that will give me literal panic attacks of anxiety. And for it was just a nightmare situation. And so I think (laughs) I'm like a little bit traumatized just of elections in general. and well, and I'm I'm sure everybody after 2016 uh, suffers from a bit of trauma. With that context, uh, I'm trying to not. I mean, I'm trying to be hopeful, you know. But I'm also I feel like I've spent most of my emotional energy preparing myself for the worst and preparing myself for how am I going to deal with even if it is a uh, Biden win of the presidency, how am I going to prepare myself for if Democrats don't take the Senate and we get stuck in a horrific, uh, you know, just stalemate of worse than that. You'd probably get the Senate intentionally sabotaging Joe Biden like they did with uh, Barack Obama when Mitch McConnell said his main goal was to make it so that Obama didn't have a second term. And he did. Well done, Mitch McConnell. (laughs) Yeah. Real competent guy. (laughs) He did just make it so that he has a 6-3 Supreme Court for for literally our entire lives. So I don't know if you should yeah. be you should be digging this guy right now. Uh, he's he's pretty competent. All right, Sam. Like what are you you basically said what you're feeling. You went from being pretty po- positive about Biden to being pretty negative in about the course of two weeks. So why why do you think you feel that way? I mean, I just at first I was like, yeah, Biden's probably gonna win, but I think with everything that's happening more and more, you know, especially voter suppression, that I guess I didn't really take that into account. I guess I was too hopeful that that wouldn't come into effect. Um, or I was too optimistic, maybe, about that. I thought, 
yeah, Bloodrush Oppression is still going to happen, but not in not in terrible numbers. But obviously, I was wrong, and it's getting worse by the day. Hi, this is Dan, and I'm just cutting in here. Uh, Sam was talking about how this voter suppression stuff gets worse and worse every single day. And uh, he's right, because within hours of recording the podcast, we learned about a new case in Texas. Absolutely appalling. Republicans are trying to get tossed out 100,000 votes in heavily Democratic areas in Harris County, Texas, where Houston is, uh, basically arguing that because they were cast in drive through polling places, that they are illegal and that they should be invalidated. And they're doing this three days before an election. Um, this is appalling. They're clearly trying to cue the issue up for the Supreme Court just in case Texas does not go their way. They want to be able to cue this issue up and hand it to the Supreme Court and let the Supreme Court say, uh, this is what the Supreme Court is is going to have to say, and it, it is an appalling, appalling decision. Uh, they will say, well, uh, Bush versus Gore applies, and these polling centers were illegal because other place, other counties didn't have uh, polling centers. Or uh, you know, they'll make up some reason to invalidate 100,000 votes. Uh, that is my sincere fear, and I'm putting it down right now because I, I think it's what they're going to do. Um, I think it's what they're going to do. I, I don't know if this court is going to make, you know, the court is, the district court is probably going to make a decision. The fifth circuit is definitely going to weigh in on it. And I think the Supreme court is going to, you know, if Texas goes to Trump, I think this case just kind of whittles away, obviously, but I think they're queuing the issue up because they want to be able to toss out these hundred thousand ballots. And I got to say, uh, this is pure fascism. Um, if this were happening in any other country, it would be obvious what this is. <laughs> It would be obvious if this was happening in Iran or Putin was doing this to the other, the minority party in his country. You'd know exactly what this is, uh, but it's happening here. So we're all going to pretend that there's this logical reason why drive through voting during a fucking global pandemic is really somehow illegal and that it's the job of a federal court to interpret state law and, and declare it illegal under a cockamamie precedent called Bush versus Gore or some other random shit that they make up to try to steal the election um anyway uh sam is right this shit's getting worse every day i gotta say it's probably gonna get worse uh before the elections only three days left but you know they're pulling out all the stops on this one so all right back to the podcast i don't really want to prepare myself for the worst because if i do that i'll just have anxiety until election day and probably past it, just like I think I'm just gonna try and avoid everything, <laughs> just avoid it all, and then I'll just you know be living in a cave for like the next month or so. Um, because I don't want to deal with it. I just uh, I'm tired, guys. I think you all are too. But yeah, yeah. I think we yeah. all are tired. Ah, look, guys, this this is what I feel. I agree. I think we should be cautious. I I think we should uh, not be overly optimistic. I, I don't think we should be naive. I don't think we should say anything is in the bag or anything is certain. Uh, even if you believe the 538 model and, and believe that Joe Biden has a 90% chance of winning an election, that means that there's still a 10% chance of Donald Trump winning an election. 
I don't know about you guys, but if if I were to be about to get on a roller coaster and somebody were to tell me, you know, 10% of the people that get on this ride die, then yeah. I'd probably just <laughs> walk away, right? Like, <laughs> I don't want to take that risk. I don't care if it's that that low. Um, and that that's where we are. Like, this is the stakes are so high. Like, this isn't a normal presidential election. I, I understand, especially for a lot of leftists, that the the phrase "this is the most important election of our lifetime" is so tired and so overused. And and I understand if it if it doesn't hit anymore, uh, like it used to when you, when you were younger. But in this case, like I believe it. I do believe this is this is more important than the 2008 election and the 2012 election that I participated in uh, in 2016, uh, being probably the second most important now. Um, but still, this is more important by probably several orders of magnitude. So even that 10 percent chance that that this 538 model is showing um, that of Trump winning the election still scares the shit out of me. Let me let me just real quick cut in here. Because that reminds me of a joke I saw. Anybody who thinks that a 90% chance of Biden winning is good has obviously never played XCOM. Yeah. And that's so true, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, again, it's it, it, this stuff can still happen. It's still a very, very real possibility. But in terms of that, you know, that overt pessimism and, and when I hear that, you know, Donald Trump's going to sweep the table and and um, going to take all these states, uh, and you know he has a ninety five percent chance of winning the election um, and whatnot. There's a part of me, a, a 2016 uh, version of me, uh, that believes that because I like Knack, like Sam, like Daniel, I am scarred by by that night, and it, it's it's something that I carried with me for the last four years. But there is an more objective, not as scarred version of me that would look at all these numbers uh, and also look at the, the current political environment and say, what the hell are you people talking about? Like, just look at, at the facts. Like, just, just look at the data. Like, Donald Trump, and, and this is something that I think is key. Like, if we look at the, the state of Texas, right? The best poll numbers that Donald Trump gets in Texas, which is like a plus four or plus five, are the worst poll numbers that that Joe Biden gets in Pennsylvania. If you had told me a year ago that would be the case that Texas would be closer than Pennsylvania, I would say you're fucking joking. That that's that cannot be possible. Uh but it is. And again, both of these states have been heavily polled. Um and I understand the concern that well the states were or the polls were wrong in 2016. That is true. But even the polls right now, one, the methodology was changed and it was changed in favor of Donald Trump. So it should realistically speaking at least mitigate uh so, some of the uh, the error that that happened in 2016, maybe not all, but it should mitigate it a little bit, theoretically. But even then, again, I mentioned it in the last episode in 2016, the voter share for Hillary Clinton was low, um, and it, it was showing a lot of undecided voters. That's and that it ended up being true. That ended up actually being 100% accurate. And right now, it's not showing that. It's showing that the the most people have made out their mind. Joe Biden gets close or above 50% in most of these swing states, and and that's a key factor. But even if we move beyond the polls. Right. Let's just look at the po the current political environment. We are three days away from the general election. Let's face it. There is no Comey letter event this time around. There's nothing that's going to shift the polls. Bobolinsky. The Bubalinski maneuver is <laughs> yeah. not working. 
like that that's not going to happen and that was a key thing a key break for the trump campaign in 2016 and it's not happening right now um also donald trump is not the challenger he's the incumbent and the economy sucks ass like it sucks it's it, it, yeah it's better than it was six months ago when when covid struck but it's still in, in a terrible condition and still significantly worse than it was when donald trump was inaugurated as president uh, and also, you want to talk about COVID, just today, we got over 99,000 cases in the United States. The pandemic is raging uh, uh, harder than it did uh, the last couple of months. It's reaching the peak that it did uh, back, back in July. Um, there's, we still have over 1,000 deaths per day. Uh, the pandemic is especially bad in Midwestern states and Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota. Again, I mean, if you want to talk about something that helps uh, Joe Biden, this uh, this actually helps. I, yes, I, I understand the concern that it might drive people away from the polls. Uh, but even then, again, early voting is showing record numbers. So I still think voter suppression can have an impact in states like Pennsylvania where, where it could be litigated. I'm not minimizing it, but people are showing up to vote. So all things being equal, like, yeah, I think it's realistic to say that Trump has a shot, but let's be honest, nothing right now is showing anything that this is 2016 all over again. There are dramatic differences. And I think it's important to just look at those differences and just be a little bit more realistic about Gus, it. Gus, but what about the feelings in our head, like the bad ones? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it, right? And the reason, the reason I say all of this is... We make fun of pundits all the time for thinking with their gut, for, for, for using stupid arguments like I saw more yard signs the other day for, for Donald Trump than Joe Biden. And so Donald Trump is going to win. How many times have we, Daniel, you and I made fun of Peggy Noonan writing some dumbass article about how she knows that Mitt Romney is going to win or that John McCain's going to win. And then after election day, we just laugh and laugh. What did Bill Mitchell say? The true get ground game is in our hearts or something. <laughs> Yes, the real are the real friends we made along the yeah. way. That's we're we're in danger of that being us now. That because of 2016, because we're so scarred, we can't look at things even remotely objectively anymore. We 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 do we have a sense of fear, of anxiety, of of depression that is crippling us and crippling our ability to be a little bit more rational about these kinds of things. The rational and here's my position, and I think it's a rational position. Joe Biden is should be favored to win the election. It doesn't mean he will. It means that he has a, a better shot than Clinton did in 2016, but Donald Trump does not have a 0% shot. 10% can happen and has happened. Yes. I hope it doesn't, but it's that's not an unrealistic position to to sit on, right? So what you're saying is we're going to be partying all night. On I think Gus is saying that Biden's definitely going to win. <laughs> no, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is I will have all the wine in all the world on election day I, I or election night. I hope you guys join me uh, and, and we can all watch it together. But on that point, I do actually want to make another point. And that's how different this election is going to be on election night because um, there's going to be then Pennsylvania will probably not be called on election day. Not only that, but they're going to count the um, election day votes first. And that, according to every poll, is going to show a huge Donald Trump lead um, because almost every Democrat in it, uh, voted either by mail or early voting. So that's something to keep in mind. If 
we we're on this doomsday scenario where Trump does win North Carolina and Florida, which I think is totally possible. Uh, and Pennsylvania looks dire. Don't have a panic attack. At least not yet. Pennsylvania is likely to count election day votes before early votes. Yes. Wow. Okay. I was unaware of that. That's fucking bogus. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just checking 538 here because they actually have a good um, that the, the election day votes are going to be counted first, uh, not not even before um, early votes. I mean, so. I'm sure Donald Trump, he's a he's a wise guy. I'm sure he'll understand not to call anything in his favor. And, you know, he'll he'll understand that it's going to take some time for those votes to come in. Mm hmm. Yeah, he never <laughs> he never preemptively declares victory or anything in the face of all the evidence. I don't I don't anticipate any any yeah. problems. I think that scary and funny to see how quickly Trump declares victory on election night <laughs> if if the votes are going his way and he wants to try to cast aspersions on uh the votes that come in after election night. Although I do think that I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I do think for the most part our election infrastructure is good. <laughs> in terms of I think that the I don't think a lot of Republican Secretary of States are going to join in this shenanigan with Trump saying, don't count any of your votes after Election Day, because I mean, that it's just transparently stupid. It's I, I know that Kavanaugh did it. I know that Trump says it. I know that conservatives parrot it. I guess I have some faith that, you know, the Republican, you know, the attorney generals in most of these, the attorneys general are the ones that uh, oversee the election process. And for the most part, they understand the reality of the situation, despite their sort of uh, playing into this propaganda world of Donald Trump. Um, so, you know, let's see if that my faith in Republican attorneys general is, 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 uh, stands up after election day. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, but again, it's just something to watch out for on election night. Take, take everything into context. Don't freak out until we make sure that every single valid vote, at least, you know, whatever is considered to be a valid vote now is, is counted. And that's going to take a while guys. It's again, uh, and to our listeners, be prepared for this to drag on two weeks uh, on the bright side. If, if we're lucky enough to see Joe Biden win Florida and North Carolina, for instance, and those should be called on election night, it's over. You could probably celebrate. Yeah, that's yeah. There, there's very little path. There, honestly, there isn't a path for Donald Trump if if that were to happen. That's the best case scenario on election night. But keep keep the worst one in mind. Well, we should start wrapping things up here. Anything else you guys want to say about election night and then how you feel right now? I feel better with you guys than I feel alone. <laughs> well, that's usually the case. Um, I, I I will feel better if Biden wins than if Trump wins. Yeah, <laughs> 2016. I uh, it was one of the darkest moments of my life, <laughs> and I and I think a lot of people. <laughs> I had actually flown to Florida yeah. to volunteer with the Clinton campaign, and uh, I was at like an after party that some congressman was throwing, and I was drinking way too much because i was so friggin' nervous and i actually left early after it looked like florida was turning towards trump i was like uh oh this is garbage i'm i'm gonna leave um and i left and you know stumbled back to the hotel and and fell asleep and woke up to to see him taking his uh his uh victory speech and it just all felt like a 
horrible dream. You know, I'm going to do my best this this year not to not to climb into this that dark hole and uh, try try to maintain positivity even if uh, things start to turn south. Yeah, I guess that's really all we can do. Um, life goes on, and so does the fight. And and likewise on the other direction, like if if we're lucky enough to see a Joe Biden presidency, there's a lot of things we have to keep in mind, right? Like the last four years are not going to disappear. Um, Joe Biden is still a moderate Democrat. Yep. Um, Daniel, you expressed your pessimism as to what the Democrats can get done. And I think th those are uh, valid points. Um, again, what they could get done even under the best case scenario. Regardless of what happens yeah. after election day, uh, and I want to stress this to our listeners, keep in mind that life goes on. You still have your friends, you still have your family, uh, and you still have each other. So never, never give up the fight. But that's our show. Uh, Daniel, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Gus. And, uh, you know, <laughs> see you after the election. <laughs> yeah. S Sam, I'm glad you're with me, Sam, here at the end of all things. Me too. Me too. Knack, thank you so much for joining us again. It's always, it's always good to have you here. It's always fun. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. And to our listeners, uh, again, thank you so much for listening to us today. Uh, there is one thing I can guarantee, is that, and that is no matter what happens, we'll see you next week for another episode of Friendly Reminder.